Now today we begin a series called Can't We All Just Get Along? You ever feel like that? That we just can't get along? If you've ever lived in a house with another person, you've probably had that experience, which all of us at some point in our life have. I grew up in a smaller house and my two brothers and I shared one room. So we had three boys in one room. You learn real quickly of how to get along or not get along with one another. We lived in a neighborhood with, uh, my dad likes to call it a postage stamp size lot with our house with four children on it. On one side, we got along with our neighbors. On the other side, we had neighbors, their last name was All Bright, and we nicknamed them All Dark because there wasn't a happy day for them. Um, I don't think they moved to that neighborhood thinking that a family with four young children was going to move next door. That was not their plan for retirement. But all of us have seen that it's hard to get along with people. Think about your place of employment. Now, there's probably people that you get along with easier than other places. You look at the larger nation, the world, politics, cultures, and there are so many polarizing issues that often it just feels like we can't get along. I heard one person say this last week that we've been told to just stick to your own health and the weather, but now with the global warming and the vaccination debates, you can't even talk about those things. So how do we jump on into this? Think about some of the issues that come up in our everyday life. You think about immigration, border security, human sexuality, abortion, poverty, race relationships, war, and the list can keep going on and on and on. And then to think about trying to have a well-formed opinion on each one of these and a well-formed biblical perspective on it is an incredible challenge. Unfortunately, the rhetoric that's often used is pretty polarizing on social media, the news, and even in relationships. It seems like we don't necessarily speak to each other, but we're just asking people to pick sides. So today we're kind of asking and answering this simple question, or complicated question. How do you learn to get along with people who have vastly different views than you and communicate your opinion without starting a fight? There's usually three options when it comes to this. Because I would say all of us have some kind of formulated opinion. We'd like to express that opinion. But for most of us, we probably don't want to start fights with it. And when you enter into these conversations and potential um, heated disagreements, three options usually come up. Either flight, fight, or freeze. Some of us might want to just run away from the whole thing and flee from it. Others want to start a fight and step on in and kind of get into that whole debate. Or you freeze, you just kind of panic and you're like, I don't know what to do or say. And all three of those are not real great options. To run away and just remove yourself from the conversation. To fight and potentially just break relationships. Or to freeze and just be paralyzed. So what I've been contemplating and just wondering is, is there a better way? And I think there's a fourth option of which I like to call thoughtful engagement. And both those words are pretty key in that statement. That on the one side, we can have a lot of thoughts about things, but if we never engage with any of the issues, that's great to have these thoughts, but at some point we have to engage. But think about the other side, engagement without thought. (laughs) 
You just jump on in without thinking and you're saying all these things and doing all these things, but you haven't thought about it. But I believe if we're thoughtful and we're engaged, we can really speak into what's happening. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at some of these ideas that can help, help, hopefully help, help us to thoughtfully engage. And today we're going to look at listening and learning to listen. Now, for some of you, you might came in here this morning and said, well, if I knew that we were going to talk about learning to listen, I already know how to listen, and I could have stayed home and listened to something else besides you today. But studies, and actually one directly from the Harvard Business Review, tell us that we aren't real good listeners. Do you know that 25, you will only remember 25% of what I say eight hours later. So right now, as I'm speaking, you're forgetting 75% of what I'm saying. Do you know also that we speak at about 125 words per minute, but our brains process much more information than that. So as I'm speaking, you have other things going on mentally. You might be looking at me, but you're probably thinking like, hmm, I'm kind of hungry. I wonder what's going to happen for lunch. I wonder what we're going to do this afternoon. Should we probably make plans right now? Um, or you might be thinking like, what is my week looking like? You know, laying this out or maybe doodling in front of you. But the reality is that your brain processes more than what you're hearing me speak. We are a distracted, a soundbite society. Twitter built a whole platform on communicating in 140 characters or less. They have now doubled it to 280, but still it's just a soundbite. You go on news sites and a lot of times there's a shock title, but then you click on that and underneath there's always not a lot of content. And on all, the, all these sites, there's always ads or other things that basically, if you click on them, they don't take you to much of anything good. And they actually have a title for that, clickbait. It just baits you to click. And once you click, you really don't end up anywhere with much value. We are connected digitally, but can often fail to be present relationally with one another. On top of all this, most conversations and communications that we enter into is not about having a healthy dialogue with one another, but we almost speak over each other or to one another of what our opinions are or what we think or say or know or want other people to do versus engaging in thoughtful dialogue. So how do we learn to listen in the midst of all this? How do we thoughtfully engage with this? Well, we're going to talk about one verse as our kind of key text today, it's, and it's in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19. And to give you a little background on the book of James, James falls into the whole pattern on the Bible timeline in the church and mission area. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he is the leader of the first church ever in Jerusalem. Not the first church ever in Jerusalem, first church ever located in Jerusalem. And James is dealing with a lot of Jewish Christians and also some other things that are happening in this church. We can figure out from his letter that there's many things that are going on that need to get addressed. A few of them are conflict, favoritism of the rich over the poor, lack of care for people in need, people who know what the right thing to do is, but they aren't doing the right thing. And you can feel that there's this tension in this, the church that James is speaking into. 
Now, in the first 18 verses of the book, he covers a lot of these things. He addresses the testing of your faith, asking for wisdom, persevering under trials, riches and poverty, temptation and sin, and everything that is good and pure and right comes from God. Then we arrive at this gem of a verse in verse 19, which states, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Right away, you can see James says, my dear brothers and sisters. And the original says, my dear brothers, but brothers stood for all the Christian community. So James is speaking and saying, I love you guys. You are special to me. And these are my Christian brothers and sisters. So if you look at yourself as a follower of Christ, a Christian, he is speaking to you. He then goes on to say, all of you, or as they say in the South, all y'all. This is for everybody. This isn't for some people. This isn't about personality. This isn't about preference. This is a statement for all of us that he wants us to listen up to. And then he says, for all of you, you need to be quick to listen. Now that word be is key there because be connotates that sense of being. That it's not about behavior, it's about who you are at your core. Your default settings, like this is who you are. That whatever context you show up in, this is who you are and how you act. Think about it like the default settings on your phone. When you buy a new phone, and if you want to buy a good phone, you buy an Apple phone, um, uh, and you hit that power on for that first moment and that glorious Apple comes up. But built into that phone, or whatever phone you buy, are default settings. You always know who hasn't changed their default settings when you hear that ringtone in public, right? Now you're like, ah, that's the one right from the factory. But there's certain settings, there's certain apps, there's certain things that no matter where you are, basically in this country, you buy that kind of phone, you turn it on, and you get the same experience. That's a default setting. And James is saying here, there needs to be a default setting in our lives. That when you get up in the morning and you are turned on to life, here's a default setting for you. And it says you should be quick to listen. He doesn't say listen quickly and move on. He says you must be quick to listen. Now this whole idea of listening is not just about hearing but it's about hearing with the idea of comprehending and then putting into practice what you know. Jesus states it like this, and in many points across the Gospels, Jesus talks about, let him who has ears, let him hear. Listen up. Here to learn. Here to understand. And he says in Luke 6, 46 to 49, Jesus says this, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break around the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins." Jesus is clearly saying, hear, listen, with that idea of having it bring change to your life. 
If you just fast forward a couple verses in James, James says, do not just be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. So when James is saying hear, it's this connotation of listening and learning and understanding. And so here's where it gets tough. If we are listening, we're putting ourselves in a position as a learner. That's easy for some of us and difficult for others. Because some of us want to be the teacher in front of the classroom instead of the learner and student in the seat. It's interesting that the word disciple literally means learner or student. That when you take a position as a student, as a learner, as a listener, you ask questions. You recognize you don't know it all and you're here to learn and understand more. In relationships, this means that if you're taking a posture as a learner, you're not the one speaking all the time. You're listening and asking questions. And even when you disagree with somebody, maybe before a response, you raise your hand and say, tell me more. I don't understand that perspective. Could you tell me more about that? Hector Iardis has almost been on staff for two years now here at DAC. And when I first met Hector, um, I recognized three things right away. One, he's a great guy. Two, he's incredibly musically talented. And three, he loves Jesus. And now over the last two years, I've had multiple conversations with him, asked him multiple questions and taken a posture with him as a learner and asking him, to help me understand who he is, his background. And although we have many similarities on multiple levels, there's vast differences in the cultural perspectives of how he grew up, in his experiences, his ethnicity, in him being a minority immigrant to this country at nine years old. I could assume that we are the same, But instead, I've tried to take a posture of listening and learning and understanding. And sitting face-to-face with somebody and asking questions is much, much different than reading a book or a blog or having an opinion not based off a relationship with somebody. Jen Ashby has been at the church 13 or 14 years. And over the last three years, I've gotten to know Jen. And we share many things in common. But we have vast different experiences and perspective, even on ministry. She has been a woman in ministry and leadership, and that is a vastly different experience than my experience in leadership. And if I would assume that we're basically just the same and everything is exactly alike, I'd be missing the richness in that diversity and understanding. And here's the thing. Listening takes time. Listening is hard. It takes effort, energy, and intentionality. And to listen to other people's experiences without coming to a judgment very quickly is hard. But this is called thoughtful engagement. Thoughtfully engaging with those around you. And the deepest, most meaningful conversations that we can have in our lives come from those who we allow to get to know us and who we get to know too. There's some people that I've known for a short amount of time that I feel like I know much better 
because of the way that we relate to each other and ask questions and pursue depth in relationship versus a surface. Is your default setting to listen, to learn, or to speak? When somebody states their opinion, are you right away prepared with your rebuttal? Or are you prepared with a question to ask them to tell me more? I want to understand more. And the more we listen, the more we're going to understand those around us. And as we get to know people that are different than us, and as we learn to ask those questions, what's going to happen, we're going to understand that it's not just about issues, it's about people. Our society loves to make it about issues, but really behind all these issues are people. To speak to immigration and not talk to somebody who has personally immigrated to this country is two completely different conversations. To speak about abortion, but to never have talked to anyone who has been faced with that brutal decision, whether or not they made what you believe the right or wrong decision, you're going to speak differently to that issue. To speak on homelessness and not have personally had conversations with people who have encountered homelessness creates two completely different conversations. To speak of the horrors of human trafficking but to never have looked somebody in the eyes who has been trafficked or been at risk of being trafficked brings completely two different experiences. Just the other week, there was a snowstorm in the area here, and I showed up at the office, and Linnea was talking to a homeless man who was basically just seeking shelter from the storm. She was having a conversation with him, and then I asked him if he needed a ride somewhere, and he said yes. And so I talked to him for a while, got to know a bit of his hopes, his dreams, his story, and I gave him a ride. And as I was dropping him off where he asked to go, we got out of the car, and I now knew his name, and I still know his name, and um, he knew my name. And as we stepped out, he said to me, Mark, would you pray for me? I said, yes, I will. And I, and I called him by name. And it's much different having a conversation when you're on a first-name basis than somebody you pass by holding a sign alongside the road. We need to stop speaking to issues and start speaking to people. And as James continues here in this one verse, he says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all, all y'all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. And if we're quick to listen, then we're going to be slow to speak, slow to get angry, or we should be moving in that direction. For me, I can tell you multiple times I have failed miserably at being slow to speak and slow to get angry. I could give you multiple times, even up until the present, where this is not always my default setting. But one time... Um, when I lived in England, I remember we'd go down to the Birmingham Town Center, big town center, and there was people down there debating all sorts of things. And I didn't realize that the, this at the time, but there's people that just come down there for the adrenaline rush. They just want to get in a heated debate simply to feed off it. And so the more you get worked up, they're happy because they're feeding off that. And I accidentally stumbled into that, didn't know any better, and just ended up in this heated conversation with this person. So we're going back and forth, back and forth, and they aren't trying to get agreement. They're just trying to get a rise, and they were doing a great job with me. 
And so I was getting angry and frustrated. It was just rising. And, and we were talking about the afterlife or something. And so this person said something about they don't believe in the afterlife. And I just spouted off in anger right in return and said, well, I hope you get hit by a bus today and find out that you're wrong. One of my glorious moments, my pastoral moments. If I'd been more pastoral, I would have said, and hopefully you won't die right away so I can come and lead you to Jesus. No. (laughs) But I know that nothing good came out of that conversation. I was just spouting off. And I walked away and they hadn't changed. I hadn't changed. This didn't help any relational bit. It was just destructive. And instead of thoughtful engagement, I became a rage monster, spouting off nonsense. And here James is telling us, let's be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Thomas Jefferson said, if if you're angry, count to 10 before you say something. And if you're really angry, count to 100 Maybe we should have that for social media. If you're angry about something, before you hit share, count to a hundred. And make sure that you want that all over your social media feed. Proverbs 17.28 puts it like this. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. If you have a problem being foolish, just keep your mouth shut. People think you're brilliant. But it really, in other words, use caution when we speak. And if we have listened well, then we can thoughtfully engage with the situations and people around us. So let me give you a few practical things as we finish up here. First, listen to people, not issues. If all you're hearing is issues that you're personally facing or our society is facing, find people who these issues are affecting directly and have a conversation with them. Whatever side you're on, find people and have a conversation. If you can't find people like that, go and do searches. I found some great things even just on Right Now Media that I've been listening to just with people with different perspectives from me. But don't make it about issues. Get to know people who have faced these issues personally. Next, ask good questions. Ask good questions. When somebody says something, instead of giving a response right away, why not ask a question and say, tell me more. What is the reason that you hold that perspective? I'd like to know more about that. I listened to a sermon by Craig Groeschel, and he said he went to his doctor for his shoulder one day, his, his orthopedic doctor, and the doctor asked him the series of questions which just seemed to go on and on and on and on. And finally, Craig said to his doctor, how many questions are you going to ask me? And he said, 21. And he said, why? He said, I ask every single patient 21 questions. And Craig said, well, when did you know what was wrong with my shoulder? He said, when you called and made the appointment. I knew what was wrong with your shoulder. But as a discipline to make sure that I'm not just basing things off my assumptions, I make it a point to ask every single patient 21 questions. That's called discipline. Because of anyone, he probably knew right away, like he said. But he practiced a discipline of asking more questions to not just jump to assumptions. Next, don't assume you understand Everybody's experience is not like your experience. 
I lost a brother at 20 years old to a car accident. And just because I have faced loss in my life does not mean I know how everyone else has faced loss. And I can't put my hand around everyone and say, brother, sister, I know exactly what you're going through because I don't. I don't. How my parents face that death is different than what I do. And I don't understand exactly how they went through it. So don't assume that you understand everybody and every person's perspective. There's a level of cultural intelligence that we need to understand that there's vast differences in culture. And they aren't just nuanced, some are blatantly different. There's power dynamics in every single culture. There's majority culture and minority culture in every single culture. Nami grew up in a majority Korean culture in Korean, Korea, and now she's come as a minority to the U.S. The power dynamics switch from one culture to the next. I've grown up as the majority culture here, so I don't understand how it is to grow up as a minority in this country. That is not an experience that I have had. I talked to one of my friends, Julio, and he said he's actually looked at studies that have shown that the more that a person conforms to the majority culture, the more opportunities they will have. And in his own personal experience, he said this to me, the more that I look and act like white culture, the more opportunities I get. For some, that might be disturbing, but can I say that that has not been his experience? That has been his personal experience. So don't assume you understand everybody's experience. And if you're asking good questions, you're saying to them, I don't understand. Help me to understand. And then after you have listened to people, not issues, you've asked good questions, you're not assuming all these things, then speak to people, not to issues. Speak to people, not to issues. There's a lot of people in our country that will speak to the issues. And I don't think personally we have to necessarily take that on as our own personal thing. But if we speak to people, I believe we'll have much more kindness and thoughtfulness and thoughtful engagement when we understand their experience. And it's it's incredible to think that Jesus came and he didn't only speak, but he listened And that he taught us how to pray and said to us by that prayer that God will listen to us. Think about that, that God is a listener. And if we learn that God listens to us, whatever situations are going on in our life, and we take that and learn to listen to others, I believe that we can thoughtfully engage with the world around us. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, and you're in a situation where you feel like that hasn't listened, that he's not listening to you, all you have to do is say, yes, God, I receive you into my life, and he will listen to you, and he will respond to your prayers. May we learn to listen, both to God and to those around us. Let's pray. Father God, you are a great God, that you would listen to us and that you would respond to our prayers and that you are not disconnected from us. And Lord, there are so many things in our world, in our lives, 
in our society that, God, help us to have ears attuned to listen well. And may we not simply be reactionary. May we not just create fights or run away or freeze, but may you help us to thoughtfully engage. And that this would flow out of how you have engaged us, how you have listened and responded to us. And may we in the same way do that with others. In Jesus' name, amen.